You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to let Miss Whitney come and introduce her, or the guest speaker. The guest speaker, who's a big surprise because he's already been announced like four times. <laughs> this is my husband, Israel, so. <laughs> check, check. That's why we had to do that is because it's traditional for, for the person to give him a kiss who announces, and we just thought if Casey was announcing me, it, it might make some of you guys feel uncomfortable at least. Um, so, so we decided not to do that. Thanks anyway, Casey. All right. Well, uh, if I told you right now that there are flying purple elephants in this room, how many of you guys would believe me? No. <laughs> a couple of you guys. Well, you guys are you guys are very trusting and nice. Um, well, a friend of mine, uh, when she was in college here at Southeastern, one of her professors, I don't know which one, which is lucky for them and us and everybody. I don't have to act, you know, spit out anything like that. I wouldn't want to anyway. But, uh, but he, he proposed that to the, to the classroom and said, you know, if I told you that there are invisible flying purple elephants in this room right now, would you believe me? Of course not. And so why would you believe that there is a God? It's a nice way to introduce to your class, you know, uh, a class that, as far as I know, was not on religion or God or anything like that. But, you know, want to set up his, uh, his point of view early on for them, I guess. But how, how do we respond to something like that? Is, is Christianity, is a belief in God such nonsense as believing that there are flying purple elephants in this room right now? Now, I am curious, you know, how, how would somebody in here respond to it? Casey, what, what would you respond to it? Um, flying purple elephants is a lot different than God. Flying purple elephants is a lot different than God. We have scripture to back it up. We have scripture to back it up, okay. Why is flying purple elephants different than God? Because there's no such thing? Okay, well, that, that's kind of the question, right? Chrislyn, what's different about, about flying purple elephants than God? That would make it, make it different to consider. There's no what? No signs of it? That's a, that's a great one, yeah. You can feel God. You can't feel purple flying elephants. You can feel God? Okay. Now... Those are those are all those are all good answers. Creation itself proclaims God. Um, I'm getting a little bit of a little bit of feedback in mid range, um, but yeah, there is some major differences. There's a lot of ways we can answer that. All all those are are, are good answers. But first of all, I want to say that there is a good reason that nobody takes that question seriously. That oh, are there flying purple elephants in this room that are visible? And they do take God questions seriously. There is no, nothing to substantiate the flying purple elephants, yet you're not going to find a single place on earth, and you could, maybe find, you could maybe find one city somewhere and prove me wrong and turn this from fact to hyperbole, but you're probably not going to find a single place in the whole world that does not have a concept of God. Every place all over this world throughout history has had a concept of God, of a creator, of a great spirit. So when you go and talk to them about God, uh, it's, 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 you're speaking the same language. If you tell them there's a purple flying elephant, 
they're like, I've never, never, you know, even considered such a thing. They're completely, completely, completely separate. Now, if you don't believe in a God, if you, if you were, not, not if you don't believe in God, let's not say that. If you have no concept of God, if you have no concept of a creator, if I was to tell you that there is a God who loves you and you say, what's a God? I don't understand. You're like, you know, made the universe, everything. You're like, I don't understand. What are you talking about? That's, that doesn't make any sense. You would be the fish out of water, okay? Whereas the fish out of water is the one who believes in flying purple elephants. So it's, it's a very different, it's a very different set of information. Now, if you have a good professor in college, and your professor tells you something you'd never heard before, you'd be smart to take it seriously. So if this professor, genuinely, not pulling your leg, not joking around, tells you there are flying purple invisible elephants, and you've been with this professor for a while, he's a smart guy, generally everything else he says you believe, and suddenly he says this, you would be wise to take heed of it, to listen to it, to consider it, not to believe it, right? We don't just believe everything we hear just because it comes from a good source. But, but you would be wise to consider it and ask some questions. So let's say that, that he genuinely believes there are flying purple elephants. Well, you could say, okay, that sounds insane. I think you might be losing your mind. Uh, but, but help me out. Why should I believe in this? Right? So, so he, he's saying, when he's, when he's actually proposing this in real life, he's saying, you're not even going to ask me any questions. You're not going to consider this because this is stupid. But... But now, if he was really suggesting it, you would ask some questions. You say, okay, is there like some new, new scientific evidence that supports that belief that maybe there is some flying purple elephants that we can't see? You'd say, maybe does flying purple elephants fill some gap in scientific knowledge that could explain some things if it was true? And like, so that, for instance, uh, antimatter, you know, is one of those things that if, if somebody tells you there's this stuff that is not stuff, it's the opposite of whatever stuff is, and we don't really understand it, and we can't see it, and we can't prove it's there, uh, that sounds crazy at first. However, most scientists now believe in something called antimatter. Now, the reason they believe in it is because it fills in gaps in their scientific knowledge, and by, by putting that there, they're able to say, okay, that, that would explain all these things that we can't answer otherwise, so, so maybe it exists. So there's a reason now to consider what sounds crazy before, this stuff that's not stuff that we can't see and is affecting the whole universe, but we don't really know anything about it. Oh, well, what about, what about, who else believes in this? So if you're the only person who believes in flying purple elephants, professor, then I'm probably not going to go with you, but who else believes in it? Well, let's just ask that real quick. Who else believes in, in a god? First of all, that's, that's going to be about 90% of the world. I'm probably exaggerating there. I didn't get a number there. However, who believes in Jesus as God? I have a number for you there. It's about 2.2 billion people in this world. That's about one-third of the world. Now, numbers like that are not a good reason to believe, right? 2.2 2 billion people can be wrong. 6 billion people can be wrong. So that, in itself, is not a reason to believe in God. Like, ah, 2, two billion other people do it, I'll just do it too, you know? However, it's a good reason to take it seriously. If 2.2 2 billion people believe in flying purple elephants, you might want to consider it and study this out a little bit better. <laughs> there they are. Now, what about, what about historically? Is there any historical evidence for it? No. Is there any historical evidence? Have, have people throughout generations believed in these flying purple elephants? These are the kind of questions that if you're actually going to take your professor seriously, you should ask. And they should be able to point you in the right direction, whether you should continue to give it consideration <laughs> or whether you should just uh, shut your professor out and probably never listen to anything he ever says again. Now, now, please tell me, if your professor genuinely thought there were flying purple elephants and had no evidence or good reason to believe it, you probably would shut him out and never listen to him again, right? Like, you're not, the next time he says something that's out of the ordinary, you're not going to listen. 
we'll, we'll apply that standard later a bit better. Um, but historically, Christianity makes sense. Historically, it's, Christianity is how we got here today. Now, you can, you can argue all the details of the founding of America or things like that or, or the reasons for, for things like the Reformation. You can try to argue things like that. But the fact is that Christianity was a driving force over the last 2,000 years. And before that, Judaism. Before that, you know, a belief in God has throughout history been a driving force and part of the progression of humanity. So historically, yes, people believe in God. Yes, God can fill in some of the gaps in science. Uh, scientists work really hard to try to fill in those gaps so they don't need God. That's fine. They can try to figure out and understand everything. I'm okay with that. Science is great, and it's their job to try to understand how things work by the laws of nature, right? But God can answer a lot of the questions that they still have not been able to answer. Right. Yeah. There are still a lot of gaps in, there, in theirs. And that's not why we believe in him, but it's, but it's an important fact. So... Um, Christianity is not a religion where we leave our brain at the door. Right. And that's what I'm going to want to get at today a little bit, is that you, Christianity is a religion of faith, right? We're always talking about faith. Faith is important. Without faith, we don't have salvation, right? We are saved by grace alone through faith. But faith doesn't mean shutting your brain off, okay? Faith is a response to the situation, you have to understand the situation a bit before you can get faith. I don't, I don't have to have faith that I'm going to get a new car if, I'm just like, if I just think everything just falls into my lap, right? But when I understand that cars cost a lot of money and I'm not making that much money right now and things aren't working out, that's where when I understand the situation where faith comes in. So you, you don't leave your brain at the door. Faith is not uh, denying the facts. Faith, faith is not something we do when we don't understand or don't want to think about the facts. We use our brain in Christianity. So. Amen. Uh, today's message, I really didn't even come up with a title for it. You could call it Purple Elephants. Uh, but but we're, we're going to be talking about how Jesus really lived, really died, and really rose again. Jesus really lived on this earth. He really died, and he really rose again. And I want to give you some, some reason to believe. So Jesus really lived, first of all. Historians agree with that. It's not just the Bible. The Bible is their best source of information about Jesus, uh, despite the fact they disagree on different parts of it. But historians agree that there are other historical sources, other historical facts that say Jesus was a real person who lived a real life on this earth. He really lived. He was really a dude. You know, they, have a, they, they agree pretty well on the time he lived, on the place he lived, on a lot of the details of his life. Jesus really lived. Now, Jesus is the center of our religion. That's why we're going to focus on Jesus today. But, but Jesus is the center. And we know, historically, that Jesus is real. He lived. We don't, we're, not, we're not talking about a person who did not exist. He was real. So people, some people go, you know, like, yeah, I, I agree he lived. I just think he was a great teacher. Now, where do they get that idea? Well, first of all, there's not a lot of sources for the teaching of Jesus besides the Bible. So while there's a lot of sources that agree that Jesus lived, where do they get the teachings of Jesus? From the Bible. Amen. Have they read it? I, it makes me wonder sometimes, like, what, really, you think he's a great teacher? Like, what's, what's your favorite teaching of Jesus? Like, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Um, the last shall be first. Cleanliness is next to godliness. You see a lot of people throw things in there like that. Or how, or how about, you know, 
don't marry a woman who's, who's been divorced, or if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Everybody loves that one. Like, I mean, atheists are just like, yeah, that's, that's, he's a good teacher. We should all go cut off our hands, pluck out our eyes. And how about, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yeah, he was just a really good teacher. I, I, he wasn't God, but he was just a good teacher who taught things like cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And, uh, and these people, they, yeah, they think he's a great teacher. Well, C.S. Lewis said this about Jesus. He said, either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Let's read some claims of Jesus. John 5, 25 through 30. John 5, 25 through 30. I'm going to put that up there on the screen for you. It says, Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is Jesus talking. For as the Father has life in himself, verse 26, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Amen. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but the one who sent me. Amen. Now, we, we as Christians can say amen to that, but if you're, if you're an atheist, if you're agnostic, if you don't believe in Jesus as God, and you just believe in Jesus as a great teacher, this is a problem, because this is one of the big teachings of Jesus here, and it says that someday, I'm going to say hello, and everybody that's dead is going to rise up and stand before me. Amen. That is nonsense if you're a human great teacher, right? Anybody else who tells you that, you're going to say you're insane. John 6, 44. John 6, 44 through 51 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent, him, sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God, and everyone who has heard the Father, this is him claiming to be God, if you didn't catch that, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Talking about himself again. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Another great teaching of Jesus, and I'm not making fun of it because I genuinely believe it is great, but if you want to say, no, he's not God, he's not the Son of God, he's not the Messiah, he's just another great teacher, then it doesn't make sense. He's not a great teacher if that's not true. If I go around and teach you some great things like how to make money and how to live a happy life, and I tell you, and by the way, I'm God and you should worship me, um, there's one of two reasons I'm doing that. Either I'm insane and actually think I'm God, or I'm trying to get some power over you. I, am, I have malicious intent. I am, I am misrepresenting myself and trying to get you to worship me because I can get a little cult following me and make some money and get whoever I want, whatever I want, whenever I want. 
So I'm either malicious or insane, or I'm actually God. And you can be sure I'm absolutely not. But so was Jesus malicious? Was he insane? And either of those, if either of those are true, then stop listening to everything else. Stop claiming he was a great teacher. Or was he who he said he is? He is who he said he is. He is. And he, he didn't just say these things. He went around doing miracles, signs. He went around doing signs to show them that he was who he said he was. But he left the greatest sign for last, and we'll get to that a little later. But, uh, but he, he was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. And in the words of Stephen Colbert, if he looks like a duck, walks like a duck, and raises the dead like a duck, um, <laughs> Point number two, <laughs> Jesus died. So, so historians agree Jesus lived. Now they'll just say, okay, he's a great teacher, forget the miraculous stuff. Maybe, maybe they'll even say, okay, he didn't really, he didn't really uh, say that about himself. He didn't really say he was God. Well, you don't really know what he said because your best source is the Bible. And, and so if you, if you want to believe anything he said, you might as well believe it all. Um, but they agree that he lived and they agree that he died. Okay, well, that's, that's pretty simple, right? Everybody dies. That seems like a given. We should all expect that, that, that he died. Yeah. So, I mean, when people, people used to, now, now this is like ancient history, but there was my favorite show, uh, TV show called Lost, and it had a bunch of mystery surrounding it, and some people would like, they, couldn't, they could watch it for a while, but they couldn't follow all the way through. And people would always come up to me after it was over, and they're like, I didn't watch the end of it, but it doesn't matter. I already know. I know everybody dies. I'm like, of course everybody dies. <laughs> yeah, everybody dies eventually. You know, I just kind of tease them that way. And, uh, you know, like, I try to tell them, yeah, everybody dies on the show. Eventually, I mean, duh, we all die. Like, you really think everybody on the show is going to live forever? Um, so it, it seems like a given that Jesus died, right? There are, however, a few people that would try to deny that. Primarily, Muhammad, uh, the, the Muslims in this world. Actually, they don't, most of them don't believe that he died. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing. They believe that he was a prophet and a great teacher, um, but they don't believe he died. They believe that, that one of two things happened. He looked like he was dead on the cross, or, uh, or right before he got on the cross, he pulled an old switcheroo, got somebody else to go up on the cross for him, and then he kind of snuck off to the side. And, Peace out, guys. Because... I don't. I can't really say even why they, they. They. I mean, they think he's alive, you know. But they, but that seems to be a pretty miraculous claim, claim in and of itself. However, besides being just un unbelievable, more unbelievable than claiming that Jesus dies, it's more unbelievable to say he didn't die. Uh, but it's also historically just farcical, yeah. inaccurate. It's 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 nonsense. Historians agree that Jesus died. They also pretty well agree on how Jesus died. Because the Bible, once again, is not the only source. There's other historical sources, other historians from Jesus' time and not far afterward, like Tacitus and Josephus, who said that Jesus was executed by Pontius Pilate. So, and how, did he, how was he executed? He was executed on the cross. Now, he was executed by expert executioners. They knew what they were doing. They, they, they weren't like, you know, like sometimes we get it right and sometimes people just sneak off to the side. No, they... They know, first of all, they're not going to nail the wrong guy to the cross. <laughs> especially because especially the story seems to go that after he was beaten, then he sneaks off. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, okay, so suddenly, where's that bloody guy? Oh, we'll just put this guy up on there instead. 
It's probably him. No, they, they, they could tell which one had been beaten with a cat of nine tails. They knew that they were nailing the right guy to the cross, and they knew how to do it right. You did not survive death on the cross. And when they killed you, you didn't come back. Okay, you, you're like, okay, we all heard of like people who've died for a few minutes and come back. You know, they drown. Somebody you know, gives them mouth to mouth, give, you know, resuscitates them. Maybe they, you know, they had drug overdose or in a car accident. They were in the hospital for an hour, and it's miraculous. They're, they came back from the dead. But listen, you do not come back from a death on the cross. That's like coming back from your head being cut off and just like, oh, let's put it back together. It doesn't like you don't you don't get resuscitated after your head gets cut off. You don't get resuscitated when they've stabbed through your heart, when you've bled all day. When, you, when your lungs have filled with blood and water, I mean, you don't come back from this. They knew how to do it right. They knew how to kill people. They were experts in it. They had fun with it. They were, they were monsters at it. And you did not come back. True. And if you come back, you're not just going to be walking around like, hey, everybody, wasn't that bad. No. I mean, it, it, it destroyed their entire body. The crucifixion was absolutely terrible. It's the worst way you could possibly die is the way Jesus died. And he did it for you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, according to the scripture. The story which, which we have, which is the best thing we have to go on, the story of the scripture, suggests that he went, not, not by force, but willingly. When they come to get Jesus, Peter cuts off the guard's ear. You know, they're like ready to fight and protect this guy. Because that's what you do when you're worshiping somebody. When you think this guy is the Messiah, when you think this guy is here to rescue people, you don't like just make up stories and go around preaching. No, you fight, you kill, you, you do, you, this is revolution. They're ready to fight and kill for Jesus. They cut off the guard's ear, Jesus says, stop. He puts the guard's ear back on, says take. He goes with them. He refuses to open his mouth before Pilate. He refuses to say anything that could get himself out of it when Pilate was just practically looking for an excuse to let him go. Jesus went willingly and purposefully to the cross for you. He died for you. He died the worst death because because somebody had to die. Because we've all been wronged. So some of us haven't done anything wrong ever. Um, but we've all been wronged, right? Like other people have done things wrong to us. We're good, but other people have done things wrong to us. And maybe you've felt that need before that you're like, somebody has to die for what's happened to me. I mean, let's be honest. And some of us worse than others. We've been through worse things than others. But you've maybe had that feeling that, man, for what happened to me, that person, somebody ought to die. Somebody did die. Some of you guys may have even felt that way about God. That you're like, if God is real and he's let me go through this, well, guess what? He did die for you. So if you've got anger against God for what's happened to you in your life, he died for it. If you've got anger against somebody else that's wronged you, he died for it. And guess what? None of us are without sin. But he died for it. He took our sin so that he could be just and the justifier of those who believe. Amen. See, it wouldn't be just if he just if he just forgave you. Yeah. If he just said, "Oh yeah, yeah, you've 
you've murdered some people. Oh yeah, you've mistreated people your whole life, been selfish and greedy, but you know what? It's all good. That's not just. God is just. That wouldn't be justice for you, for the people who've wronged you. If you just said, no, I'm just going to let them go. Don't worry about it. But at the same time, he wouldn't be gracious. He wouldn't be merciful if he just killed us all for our sins. But God is perfectly just and perfectly gracious and merciful. So he took justice on himself so that he could justly forgive us of our sins. So that he could say that you are forgiven, but I'm not, I'm not letting it off scot-free. I'm going to die. God died for our sins. Isaiah 53. Let's, let's look at an Old Testament source here for Jesus' death. Isaiah 53, 4 through 12. It says, Surely he took up our pain. Not even just our sin. He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so did he not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich at his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord make his life an offering of sin, he will see his offspring, that's you, and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Spoiler alert. Um, By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We'll stop right there. He paid the price for your sins, for my sin. Grace is free for you but it costs God everything. That's why it's not cheap. That's why it's not something to be spit on, that how could God possibly forgive you without you making up for it? Because he made up for it. All he asks is that you believe. So number three, Jesus rose from the dead. Let's open up Numbers 17. And I'm going to jump around in this, in this chapter a little bit. We won't read through the whole thing. But we're going to start at verse 1. Jesus' resurrection was proof that he was who he said he is. Because he died, he predicted it, and he, predict, and he offered it as the sign. He, called it, he said it would be the sign of Jonah. As, as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man would be three days in the earth. 
So he, he, he offered this as the sign of who he is. So he's claiming he's God. You have good reason at that point to think he's crazy, right? If I claim I'm God, please think I'm crazy. Uh, get me help. Um, but Jesus claims he's God. You should think he's crazy. Now he's doing miracles. He's raising the dead. He's healing people. He's turning water into wine. He's making the blind see and driving out demons. And, and you have pretty good reason to start believing him. But he offers one more sign. Because there's other people who've done some miracles like that. There's other people who've healed people. There's Old Testament people who've raised the dead. They weren't God. So he offers something more. Numbers 17, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and get twelve staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes, and write the name of each man on his staff. Some backstory on this. The Israelites were grumbling. Surprise, surprise. If you read the Old Testament story, that's pretty much the whole thing. Um, and it's true for most of us, too. <laughs> like, man, God bless me. And the next day it's like, oh, everything goes wrong. Uh, but so they were upset because Aaron and Moses were the ones that were acting as the mouthpieces for God. They were the ones who, who did everything and, and were speaking to the people on behalf of God. And the other leaders are like, hey, what are we? You know, I mean, we're good. We're good people. We can hear God too. We can prophesy. We could be the priests. Like, give us some, you know, give us some respect and authority. Who do you think you are? You're not so special, Aaron. You're not so special, Moses. And so God's like, let's, let's just settle this. Let's settle this once and for all. You've all got some sticks, right? You've all got a rod, a walking stick. And, and you've, Aaron's is already famous, you know. Uh, and Aaron, you got, you got your, so let's, let's take all these rods, write your name on it, and we're just going to put them in the presence of God. It says in verse 5, it says, The staff belonging to the man I choose, this is God talking, will sprout. And I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. So Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the covenant law. This is verse 7, sorry. Verse 8 says, The next day Moses entered the tent and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. Then Moses brought out uh, verse, verse 9, Moses brought out all the staffs from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. They looked at them, and each of the leaders took his own staff back. So, little test here. You've all got your walking sticks. You've all got your staffs, your rod. Let's, let's put them in there and see what happens. Now, a walking stick that you carved a year ago is not going to do anything except for maybe decay and fall apart. It's not going to suddenly come back to life. It doesn't have leaves uh, for, for photosynthesis. It doesn't have roots for gathering water. It doesn't have any life in it. You killed it a long time ago, and, and you, you cut it up. It's, it's done for. It's not coming back. But Aaron's rod, it blossomed, bloomed, budded. It produced nuts. Overnight, that is nuts. Okay, the, the, like you, you know, like if you go, if you go into oh, my closet has our walking sticks that we never use. We should walk sometime, maybe. Um, but if I go in there and suddenly like it's turning into a tree and growing up in my closet, that's gonna freak me out a bit. That 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 means something, and that's what's happening here with Aaron's rod, where there was absolutely, absolutely no life, no no option of life, no possibility of life. The thing was dead, 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 dead as a doornail, dead as a, a you know a stick on the ground, and suddenly. It's growing and producing nuts. It's producing fruit, in other words. So there's a great test for religion right there. Let's all just throw our gods in the ring here. Let's see which one, let's see which one comes back from the dead. 
God's stamp of approval on Jesus. Everybody else that has ever claimed to be God, they're dead. If they ever even existed. We have, we have one that, that, that history agrees existed. But every other person that has claimed to be God, they died and they didn't come back. Jesus died the worst death. The death that, you know, like I said, the Romans knew what they're doing. He's not coming back. He's dead, dead, dead. And then nobody raises him from the dead. This isn't like Jesus where he does, you know, the miraculous and raises, raises Lazarus from the dead, says, Lazarus, come forth. Nobody goes to Jesus' grave for that. They, none of them believe anymore. They're like, he already died. But he comes back from the dead by himself because he is God. And now, history may not agree that Jesus rose from the dead. Because let's be fair, if you're a historian, let's say you're not a Christian, you're just a historian, if you hear some nonsense, like you, you find one manuscript that says there are flying invisible purple elephants, you're just going to say that's, that's not history, right? If it's, if it's impossible, if it's non-scientific, if it goes against the laws of nature as you know it, that's not history. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just mark that part out as that's, that's something false, a myth that's in there. So understandably, historians read Jesus rose from the dead and they say, no, there's got to be some explanation for it. That's not history. Okay. However, historians do agree that his disciples really believed, not just claimed. They, they agree that the disciples really believed they saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. That's the only explanation. Because listen, after your Messiah dies, you don't go around preaching him at all. You might preach some of the same things he said and say, man, he got some great teachings. Um, but you don't, you don't say he comes back for life. And if you do, then as soon as, uh, you know, persecution comes, as soon as the first, second, third guy dies for it, as soon as, you know, the, the first, as soon as Stephen gets stoned for it, and not in a good way, um, I guess there's not a good way, but, but not in a pleasurable way, um, <laughs> you stop believing in it, okay? You stop believing in it. Like, you stop claiming it. This, if this is a lie, then when that happens, you're done. You're done. It's over. Like, this, this was a nice game. This was nice. Maybe we got a few followers. This was cool. Let's be quiet now. Let's not go around claiming this anymore. So historians agree, by the way that the religion grew, by the way that their followers went, that they really believed that they had seen Jesus alive from the dead. That's, that's the only explanation for, for what followed. That's the only explanation for why the disciples were willing to lay down their lives for Jesus. They're the only explanation for why Paul was willing to lay down his position of authority and money and notoriety and instead become this, this uh, prisoner, you know, getting, getting, getting uh, you know, tempted to be, they attempt to kill him several times. Oh, I, can't, I can't talk for a second there. Uh, you know, he loses his fame in a lot of ways. He becomes, you know, the scourge of Rome. They, they put him in, in chains. He goes through the shipwreck. He goes through everything. He, nothing, nothing fantastic after that, right? But he gave up his position of authority, his position of fame, because he genuinely believed that he had had an encounter with Jesus of Nazareth, the God who really lived, really died, and apparently really rose again. So the disciples were willing to die for it. You could say that it was a delusion, that they had just, like, Okay, so, you know, they were mourning, and then they thought they saw Jesus, uh, you know, and, okay. One or two guys, okay, sure. You know, like Mary, Peter, uh, sure, okay. 
But when the, when the Bible says that like 500 people saw him, that's a bit of a problem. So they, there's like 500 people who probably weren't that close to Jesus, and suddenly they all believe that they saw Jesus, and not just like once, but they but they thought you know they hung out with him for a couple months or something before. <laughs> Like that's that's some major delusion. Like you gotta you gotta really come up with a good explanation for how 500 people can have like an ongoing delusion for like a month, right? So delusion doesn't make a lot of sense. How about a lie? Once again, they're not gonna die for a lie. Well, some people believe it was someone else. So Jesus dies. They go to the tomb to visit him, and there's this guy who you know in their in their grief just looks like Jesus, and they're like, oh, it's him. He's alive. And he's like, sure, yeah, I'm Jesus. Come on. Like, once again, maybe for a minute, maybe like, maybe that first day. But what about like Doubting Thomas? Doubting Thomas does not believe after all of his friends tell him. He hasn't had this delusion. And then, and then he says, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my hands in the holes in his hands, if my fingers in the holes in his hands and the hole in his side. And so this guy shows up who's just like kind of a Jesus lookalike. And he's like, hey, Thomas. He's like, where's all your scars and stuff? <laughs> yeah. The Jesus that appeared to them had all the scars. He bore the signs of his death on the cross. He said, go ahead, Thomas. Go ahead and feel it. Feel the hole in my side. Feel the holes in my hands. It was Jesus. It wasn't some lookalike. It wasn't a delusion. It wasn't a lie. The best explanation, we know Jesus lived. We know Jesus died. We know that they really, that lots of people really believed they had seen him alive after his death. The best possible explanation for it is because he really rose from the dead and the best possible explanation for that is because he was not insane because he was not a maniac but because he was who he said he was that he was god that he was the son of god that's who he is and we and we bear that with us today that that that's not just the disciples of two thousand years ago that believe they've experienced jesus and that it changed them and that it made them go to incredible lengths you know, uh, I listened to this interview recently with a with a, an atheist in in London, who decided it, that he wanted to start going to church. And he he started going, started bringing his son, and he loves it. He's still an atheist. He still believe he believes there's no God. He believes most of it's nuts. Uh, but he's like, you know what? I started going to church. The people are nice. Like it's really it's like a unique experience. Never been anything like that. You know, like like he's like. You know, there's nobody my age. Things are not fantastic in London right now. Um, he's like, there's nobody my age. They're, you know, mostly like twice my age. But you know, they're like, they're just incredible the way they love on you. The way that, like, I was at home with my son and like, there's a knock on the door. I open the door and there's like a package from one of the old ladies that just dropped off a gift at my house. And he's like, it's special. There's nothing like that. You know, he's like, he's like, so I don't believe in God, but you know, the people, the Christians, people who follow him are, are really great. You know, he doesn't believe in objective morality, he says, but he's like, I want my kid to grow up with that, though. And that's nice. And I, I believe that, man. I hope, I hope here in this church you feel welcome and you feel loved and you feel like you have a family here. And that is a sign of the love of God that's in these people. If, you, if you're experiencing that, that is a sign of the love of God. But it's not just Christians are just nice people who are just, you know, because of the teachings of Jesus, they're, they're nice. But just like Peter and Paul and, and Stephen and so many of the early disciples and early followers of Jesus, ones we don't know their names, died for Jesus, it's still happening today. And it's not because people just really want to be nice. Sarah 
Fatima al-Matari, was a, a Muslim woman who uh, came to find Jesus. She came to believe in Jesus, uh, I, I believe, in, in Saudi Arabia. Um, I don't have that information, so I could be wrong on that. I, but she came to believe in Jesus, and she had kind of kept it a secret from her family. She, you know, she continued to live in her country. Um, and one day her brother, who was, who was a bit of an extremist, he was part of like the moral police there, um, found out. She accidentally let it slip in conversation with her family that she was a Christian, that she believed in Jesus. And that is a big deal uh, to Muslims. It's, it's one thing if you're a Christian and you go there, but if you're a Muslim and you change religions to any religion, that's apostasy and the punishment is death. And she already knew what her brother was like. She knew that he was not one to mess around with. And he, you know, immediately when he heard her say it, you know, he, he rebuked her and said, you know, that you have, you have blasphemed. You have to repent or you have blasphemed. And he gave her 24 hours and he went and he found her computer and went through her information and found all these journals where she talked about Jesus, these forums online where she was communicating with others about Jesus. And he basically gave her 24 hours. And this woman... Who had, she wasn't raised in, in American culture. Like people think, oh, you're just a Christian because you were raised in that culture. That's absolutely not true because the Christianity has taken over the world. They're like, what culture was it? It was, it was, it was in, in Israel, a little tiny country. But this woman, this is, this is in 2008, that this woman, you know, was confronted by her brother, repent or you have blasphemed. In her last hours, she was not repenting. She was not considering whether, is this that I believe? Is this really true? Is it really worth dying for? Instead, she used her last hours to write this poem. I'm just going to read part of it. Uh, and she says, we, we say we are proud to be Saudis. Saudi Arabia, yeah. She said, we chose our way, the way of the rightly guided, and every man is free to choose any religion. Be content to leave us to ourselves to be believers in Jesus. Let us live in grace before our time comes. There are tears on my cheek, and oh, the heart is sad. To those who become Christians, how you are so cruel. And the Messiah says, blessed are the persecuted. And we, for the sake of Christ, all things bear. What is it to you that we are infidels? You do not enter our graves as if, as if with us buried. Enough, your swords do not concern me, not evil or disgrace. Your threats do not trouble me, and we are not afraid. And by God I am unto death a Christian in truth. I cry for what passed by of a sad life. I was far from the Lord Jesus for many years. O oh, history, record and bear witness. O oh, witness, we are Christians, and the path of Christ we walk on. Take me from this world and note it well. You see, Jesus is my Lord. He is the best of protectors. I advise you to pity yourself and to clap your hands in mourning. See your look of ugly hatred. Man is brother to man, O learned ones. Where is the humanity, the love? Where are you? As to my last words, I pray to the Lord of the worlds, Jesus, the Messiah, the light of clear guidance, that he change beliefs and set the scales of justice rightly, and that he spread love among you, O Muslims. And her brother killed her by burning her and cutting out her tongue. 
in her last moments, she was praying for Muslims. She was praying for people of her country. She was praying for her brother. Not because she just wanted to be a nice person. Because she had had an encounter with a God that is real. Jesus, who is who he claimed he is. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He really lived. He really died. And he rose again. Now listen, history and logic are not the reasons to accept Jesus. Thinking that she... (laughs) An example like hers is a great reason to accept Jesus. But the truth is that the Holy Spirit is drawing you. The Holy Spirit is pulling on our hearts. And as as we hear the words of Jesus, as we hear about who he is, God is drawing us to him. He's showing us his grace and his love. Listen, he's not, he's not threatening you. He's not dangling you over hell. He's drawing you with his grace, with his goodness, that he already paid the price for you, and he wants you in his family. Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. He was buried, and he rose again. If you bow your heads with me. My hope is that, that in some of this, I was able to remove maybe some of the boundaries that would, that would prevent you from accepting what, what is pulling on your heart, from the Holy Spirit calling you and drawing you. Now listen, it's not illogical, it's not nonsense, it's not unhistorical or unscientific. But the fact is that if God's calling you right now, you feel it. Jesus is real. And Holy Spirit, I do ask that right now you would draw people, God. God, that you've brought them into this church, not just so they could meet some nice people, not just so they can hear, you know, me talk for a few minutes, not just so they can sing some nice songs. You've drawn them here, God, because you want to be close to them. You took a risk on them, Jesus. You died for them. And you gave them a choice whether or not they wanted you. You You're not forcing them. But God, I ask that you would God, that you would soften their hearts. Let them choose you, God. Let them accept you. Anyone who believes in him has already passed from death to life. If if you believe in him at this moment, I want to say that you are already a Christian. But right now, if that's you, we want to pray with you. We want to say this prayer together and accept Jesus. We want to to make this real by, by using your mouth, by putting words to your faith. So if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right now with every head bowed and eye closed. If there's anybody in this room who has not believed in Jesus, he's here for you today. He is alive. He wasn't just seen by the 500. He wasn't just seen by the 12 disciples. He was seen by Paul later. He's been seen by people in this room. He is real. And you can experience him right now. Don't let a day go by. Don't let a day go by. This this girl's regret as she was dying was not that she had accidentally spilled the beans in front of her brother, but that she had spent so much of her life without knowing Jesus. Don't let another day go by. And for those of you in this room who who you've already believed in Jesus, tell somebody about it. Show people God's love. Don't let them spend another day without it. 
Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. God, I bless every person in this room. God, I thank you that you really lived, you really died, and you really rose from the dead for them, Jesus. God, I thank you that we believe in a God who is real, a God who is living, a God who is present, a God who cares about us, interacts with us. God, I ask that we would walk out of here with that, with that presence, with that knowledge and the faith that you are with us. And God, I ask that you would lead us in the, into opportunities, Jesus, to tell other people about you, opportunities to share your grace and your goodness and your reality in Jesus' name. And as we face those opportunities, God, we ask that you would give us wisdom, that you would put your words in our mouths, God, and that you would prick the hearts of those we talk to and that you would draw them to you in Jesus' name.